Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 13, our text for today, and uh, how wonderful it is to serve such a great Savior. I hope you've paid attention to the words of the song that we just sang and that you were able to express your love for Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from the heart. Uh, He gives us, and He alone gives us, the healing and the grace our hearts hunger for. You know, I think of the Lord's words in Psalm 81, 10. I am the Lord your God. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. And while that initially spoke of God meeting for the physical provisions of his people that he delivered out of Egypt, we can see a spiritual parallel that the Lord provides not only for our physical needs, but all of our needs and especially our spiritual needs. So even as we come to the Word of God today, we can legitimately pray to the Lord from our hearts, Lord, feed us. I think of a, of a, of a nest of hungry baby birds. Have you ever seen them with their mouths just wide open? Uh, that's the picture there. Uh, they open their mouths wide in expectancy, expecting that their parents will surely feed them will surely provide for them. And every time that we come to the Word of God, we can trust God to give us exactly what we need from His Word for this hour. Um, I am so thankful for the spiritual meal that we enjoyed last Sunday. Ruthie and I were away in Tennessee for our son Timothy's graduation, but uh, thankfully we were able to watch the uh, service online with the host that we were staying with. And I want to thank Brother Reed Ferguson for just uh, delivering a wonderful message on Romans 12. We really appreciate that. It's good to see his wife Sky back with us. She's often in Texas caring for her mother, uh, but we're so glad that she can be with us as well. So let's open our hearts wide in faith to receive God's word this morning. Our text is Romans 13, verses 1 to 7. Romans 13, 1 to 7. It's on page 892 in the Pew Bible, if you'd like to follow along. This is the most comprehensive New Testament text on how believers are to regard and relate to human government. Let us listen to the word of the Lord. Romans 13, verses 1 to 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you for the timely and ever-relevant instruction that you give us in this portion of your word. Not an easy subject, Lord. Help us to take it to heart. Help us to put it into practice so that we might please you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some say that a preacher should not bring politics into the pulpit. Uh, But that is impossible if one is going to preach the whole counsel of God's Word because politics have to do with government and government is in the Scriptures and how we are to relate to it. That's the subject of Romans 13, 1-7. You might have felt yourself even bristling a bit as I read that text. and, And that's okay, but we'll find out it's not that okay. And we're going to trust the Holy Spirit to help us through this. To get our mental juices flowing, I thought I would start off with with just a brief quiz on some of the most famous political quotes that you've heard here in America. I'm going to give the quote, and uh, you just give me the name of the person who said it, okay? Kids can participate too. These are just randomly selected. I am not a crook. Next end. Okay. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Very good. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Bill Clinton. Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. John Kennedy. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. Ronald Reagan. And finally, read my lips, no new taxes, George Bush. Actually, I'll give you one more. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Jesus Christ, Mark 12, 17. That is, in fact, the most important political statement ever made. And Romans 13, 1-7 is, in a sense, Paul's exposition of Jesus' statement in Mark 12, 17. Paul, like Jesus, teaches us that our obligations to God and to the government are not necessarily in conflict, even though our ultimate allegiance is to God. And that's what we want to wrestle through this morning as we grapple with Romans 13, 1 to 7. Some may wonder, why does Paul talk about government at all at this point in his letter. Well, you might recall at the start of Romans chapter 12, Paul urged believers to dedicate our whole selves to God, right? That we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God in light of all his mercies toward us, especially the great gift of salvation that is ours in Christ. And in conjunction with that, Paul says in Romans 12, 2, and do not be conformed to what? To this world. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds that you may prove it is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Well, some took this teaching of Paul 
uh, that is certainly taught here in Romans 12 and the spirit of it, the principle of it, in other of his letters, and, and they misinterpreted it and in some cases even twisted it to mean something that Paul never intended. They began writing off all earthly institutions as evil, including marriage, telling people to abstain. If that was the case, then Seth Fordham and Rebecca Wright sinned terribly yesterday. And so did I, because I officiated at their wedding right here at Webster Bible Church yesterday afternoon. Some would say that, no, you should, should steer clear of marriage. That's an earthly institution. That's bad. We just need to focus on heaven. And uh, that's not what Paul taught. Uh, some would say that we're not to submit to the government. We don't have to pay taxes. Or in some cases, People were struggling with that concept. It wasn't like they necessarily wanted to defy government or, or not do what is pleasing to God, but they were conflicted inside. They were wrestling with the notion, seeing that so many of those who are serving as officials in government are not Christians and do not do what's pleasing to God. They do not uphold and defend and support Christian values and biblical standards is it okay to, to be paying my taxes to support a government that in many ways opposes kingdom values? And so in one sense, Paul is uh, giving them relief, saying, look, yes, pay your taxes. Yes, be subject to the governing authorities. So in some cases, uh, there's a, a somewhat of a liberation of their conscience in this matter, that it is a good thing to submit to government. Specifically, in Romans 13, 1-7, Paul tells believers, submit to governing authorities because they exist for our good. That, I believe, is the transformative truth of this passage. Submit to governing authorities because they exist for our good. As we consider our own political and cultural context, even on this Memorial Day weekend, this text is timely. This text is relevant. This text is also pretty straightforward, isn't it? It is not hard to understand. It's knowing how to apply it in light of what we read in other scriptures and knowing how to apply it in certain situations that creates the issue, that creates the drama, the tension in our lives and sometimes in our relationships with others. And that's why we started with prayer, asking the Holy Spirit to help us apply this text in a manner that is truly pleasing to God, for we are His people. We're the sheep of His pasture. And that's what Paul means in Romans twelve seventeen, when he says, give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Give thought, think about doing that which is honorable in the sight of all. And, and this text in Romans 13 is, is an expansion of what Paul has already been teaching at the end of Romans 12. So let's walk through this text, uh, explaining and applying it as we go. First of all, let's talk about our responsibility to submit to the governing authorities. Our responsibility to submit to governing authorities. This is set forth in the very first sentence in Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Please note that Paul issues this command not to all Christians generally, 
but to every believer specifically. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. He literally uses the word psyche for person. Literally, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. He's talking about the inner self, the heart of who you are, from the very heart within you. Subject yourself, be subject to the governing authorities. That term, be subject, literally means to stand under. It was often used in the military context of soldiers who were ranked under and subject to the authority of their commanding officer. We can understand a lot of times we'll even use the expression, the chain of command. And that's what's being talked about here. It literally means to stand under, to recognize that somebody is in authority over you and you subject yourself, you submit yourself to that authority. It is a passive imperative indicating that every Christian should submit voluntarily to this authority from his very soul. Well, who are these authorities being spoken of here in Romans 13? In the context of this particular passage, they are civil authorities, the ones to whom we pay taxes and tolls and other fees, the one to whom honor and respect is due, those who govern over us. Justin Martyr, the second century Christian apologist and philosopher, wrote to the governing authorities of his day, and I quote, Everywhere we, more readily than all men, endeavor to pay to those appointed by you the taxes, both ordinary and extraordinary, as we have been taught by Jesus. We worship only God, but in other things we will gladly serve you, acknowledging you as kings and rulers of men, and praying that, with your kingly power, you may be found to possess also sound judgment." End quote. William Barclay wrote, quote, It was the consistent and official teaching of the Christian church that obedience must be given to and prayers made for the civil power even when the wielder of that civil, civil power was a Nero. End quote. How many of you have heard of Emperor Nero? Yes, most of us. He was adopted at age 13 by Emperor Claudius, and a few years later succeeded him on the throne of the empire in A.D. 54, while he was still a teenager. By all accounts, he was considered to be a debauched tyrant who used his position to gratify his own twisted pleasures and to commit unspeakable atrocities. Nero was declared public enemy, by the Roman Senate in A.D. 68, and shortly after that committed suicide at the age of 30. He was the emperor at the time Paul wrote this letter. The Roman historian Tacitus, who lived in the first century, wrote of a tax, result that, uh, a tax revolt that occurred in A.D. 58, a few years after Nero became emperor. You might recall that Paul wrote this letter to the Romans in A.D. 57, just a year before that tax revolt took place. So surely there was already a growing discontent with the Roman government. 
You add to that the Jewish zealous movement that sought to free Israel from Roman oppression by violence. And you can have the recipe for a rebellion, or at least a rebel mindset among believers, especially those in Rome, both Jews and Gentiles. And yet it's in this very regime that Paul reminds them that serving the Lord involves submitting to the state, being subject to the governing authorities, the civil authorities that God has placed over us. Paul then shares the reason why. After sharing our responsibility to be subject to the governing authorities, Paul gives the reasons to submit to governing authorities. Reason number one, they have been established by God. They have been established by God. Paul introduces this very first reason with the word for in the middle of verse 1, which then carries through verse 2. Look at verses 1 and 2 again of Romans 13. Let every person, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities for, this is the reason, there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resist what God has appointed. Pretty clear. Every human authority is a delegated authority because God is the ultimate authority. He is the sovereign God who sets up and establishes human authority. Jesus acknowledged this truth. He declared it boldly when he stood before Pontius Pilate. Do you remember what the Lord Jesus said to him? He said, you would have no authority at all over me unless my Father had given it to you, unless it had been given to you from above. Acknowledging God's sovereign, rightful rule over all the universe. Believers should be subject to governing authorities because they have been established been established by God who is the ultimate authority. The first indication of any form of human government whatsoever actually appears in Genesis 1, in the creation mandate. After God created man and woman in His image, God said, and this will sound familiar to most of you, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Genesis 1.28. In commenting on this verse, Doug Phillips writes, at first there was no civil government to enforce the law. Man was to be self-governing under God. He was to delight in the law of the Lord and to keep His commandments. Family government was introduced at the moment of Eve's creation. Adam was to be the jurisdictional head of the family, and Eve was to be a helper suitable for him. But Adam failed big time, didn't he? He failed to govern himself and his family God's way. The Bible tells us that by Adam's disobedience, sin entered into the world. And that made human government all the more necessary. Well, at the same time, sinful, because it's human government, and all have sinned. Well, the first time we see civil government in Scripture is Genesis 9, 
right after the flood when Noah and his family come out of the ark. At this point, God reissues the creation mandate and also emphasizes the value of life, particularly human life. God says that he will require a reckoning for the crime of murder and that this punishment is to be carried out by other humans. The Lord said in Genesis 9, 5, and 6, From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Now at this point, there are no further details given about civil government. But since God gave human government the obligation to carry out the death sentence for the severest of crimes, such as murder, then it's right to infer from that that the civil government has authority to impose lesser penalties on lesser crimes. And that is precisely what we see throughout the entire Old Testament and really throughout all of human history all over the earth. And this takes us to the second reason why every Christian should submit to governing authorities, not only because they have been established by God, but also because they have been empowered to punish. Because they have been empowered to punish. Look with me again at Romans 13, verses 2 to 4. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong... Be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now I find that highly significant in light of what Paul says at the end of Romans 12, which Brother Reed preached on last week. Look at Romans 12, 19. When Paul is referring to how we are to Uh, treat unbelievers even when they uh, treat us wrongfully he says in verse 19 beloved never avenge yourselves but leave it to the wrath of god for it is written vengeance is mine i will repay says the lord now according to these opening verses in romans 13 one of the ways that god exercises his judgment his his just wrath in this present age is by giving human government the power to punish those who do wrong. When Paul says in Romans 13, 2, that those who resist the authorities will incur judgment, he's not talking in that instant, in the immediate context, about the judgment of God. He's referring to that judgment which is carried out by the human authorities themselves who have been ordained by God. How do we know that? Because of what he says in verse 3. He says, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So if you don't want to be afraid of the authority, then obey the law. We get a little taste of this when we're cruising down the highway. 
don't we, right? And a state trooper or police car pulls up right behind us. What's the first thing you do? Slow down, right? Or at the very least, you double check how fast you're going to make sure that it's under the imposed limit on the highway. When Paul says that the governing authority does not bear the sword in vain, he is endorsing the right of the state to punish those who do wrong, even to the point of depriving life to those who commit crimes that are worthy of death. Capital punishment. Tom Schreiner correctly asserts, Paul would not have flinched in endorsing the right of ruling authorities to practice capital punishment since Genesis 9-6 supports it by appealing to the fact that human beings are made in God's image. Precisely because human beings are so valuable as God's image bearers, it follows that the one who intentionally takes the life of another should also be deprived of life. Governing authorities are to mete out wrath to vindicate justice in the case of the one who flouts the law and does what is evil. Pastor Matt, that was in the Old Testament. That's true. That's true, but it was based on people being made in the image of God. It was not an Israelite thing because this was before God called Abraham. That's in Genesis chapter 12. So it's before Israel existed as descendants of Abraham. It was before Israel existed as a nation in the book of Exodus when God appeared to them at Mount Sinai. This is a principle, this is a rule that is based on creation itself. We think of the limitations of human government in this regard. And here's where we realize that while they don't bear the sword in vain, ultimate justice will be executed on the day of the Lord. When the righteous judge the judge of all the earth will execute God's vengeance on the evildoer. I couldn't help but think of some of the atrocities that occurred over the last couple of weeks. The racist who murdered 10 black people in Buffalo two weeks ago. Or the deranged teen who slaughtered 19 children, two adults at a Texas elementary school this past Tuesday. Life imprisonment or even the death of the murderer cannot atone for such a vast slaughter of so many image bearers of God. But the final judgment is yet to come. Every crime ever committed will be punished with perfect justice by God Almighty. This should comfort us, but it should also terrify us if we are outside of Christ. Because as great as those crimes were, as horrible as the Holocaust was, and other uh, uh, genocides that have occurred throughout human history, the greatest crime ever committed was the murder of God's own Son. And because of our sins, every single one of us are complicit in that crime. The irony is that God in His great love used the ultimate evil, the worst crime in human history to bring about the greatest good. 
For by his death on the cross at the hands of rebel sinners, Jesus satisfied the righteous wrath of God against every sinner who would repent of his sin and trust in Jesus alone for salvation. Those who trust in the Lord for salvation are not only pardoned by God for all their sin, but they are also empowered by God to do what is right. That's been Paul's theme throughout much of Romans, and and now he's practically applying it in chapters 12 and 13 and the remaining chapters. Those who trust in the Lord for salvation are not only pardoned by God, but they're also empowered by God to do what is pleasing to God. Isn't that a wonderful truth? To know that we're not only pardoned, but we actually have the capacity to please God as a result of His grace in our lives? This takes us to verse 5, Romans 13, 5. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. So yes, fear is an effective motivation to submit to government. But it is not to be our primary motivation. Our primary motivation for obeying anyone in authority ought to be because we want to please God. We want to honor the Lord. We want to extol our sovereign, gracious King who has put these authorities in place for our good. And since God has established these authorities over us, we give them what we owe them. Taxes, tolls, other fees, honor, and respect. Remember the principle being taught here. Submit to governing authorities because they exist for our good. God has established them for that purpose. That's the transforming truth of this passage. It is embedded in the fifth commandment. Remember what the fifth commandment is, kids? Honor your father and your mother. Adults, do you remember the fifth commandment? (laughs) Honor your father and your mother. As part of my own private worship, I've been reading through, meditating on the Heidelberg Catechism. And I, I came across its exposition of the fifth commandment this past week just in my reading it's question number 104 in the catechism which reads this way what is god's will for you in the fifth commandment and the answer is that i show honor love and faithfulness to my father and mother and all those in authority over me submit myself with proper obedience to all their good teaching and discipline and also that I be patient with their failings, for by their hand God wills to rule us. For by their hand God wills to rule us. So parents, we teach our children to respect authority, not only by training them to honor and obey us, but by example. As we honor and obey, pray for, and submit to the authorities that God has placed over us. So yeah, we pay attention to the speed limit. We pay our taxes. 
We pray for our government leaders, even if we didn't vote for them. We respect their office, even if we cannot respect the character of the person who fills that office. And this takes us to the third and final point, which is necessary purely for applicational purposes. Our reluctance or refusal to submit to governing authorities. So far, we've looked at our responsibility to submit to the governing authorities. Uh, we saw that sentence number one right in the text. Then we looked at our, the reasons that we should submit to governing authorities. Uh, and Paul gives that in verses 2 to 4. And then verse 5 as well. Verse 6 is kind of the practical application of that when it comes to paying taxes and being respectful and all that stuff. But this third point isn't in this text. This is where we look at the whole counsel of God's Word and try to help us through Romans 13. Now, I wish I had more time to go into a lot more detail, but I just want to do kind of a flyover of two basic reasons why we might be reluctant to submit to government or why we might even on some occasions refuse to submit to government. And the first answer is Scripture. Scripture. As we consider Paul's teaching in Romans 13, we have to remember that, yes, this is the Word of God, but it is not the only Word of God on this issue. The Lord addresses other aspects of our regard for and relationship to government in other passages in His Word. When the governing authorities tried to squelch the preaching of the gospel in Acts 5, what did the apostles do? How did they respond? We read that Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. So there was an occasion where the government told them to do something that was directly against what God told them to do, which was to preach the gospel to all creation. And when they were faced with the choice, they said respectfully, we must obey God rather than men. And then they took whatever consequences came from that. And even when they suffered, they went out rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. So when the civil government or any human authority, even our own parents or our teachers, God forbid our pastor, would tell us to do something that is contrary to the Word of God, then that should be our response as well. We must obey God rather than men. We must always choose to obey God if the choice comes down to it. We see this exemplified by believers not only in the New Testament, but also the Old Testament. Remember the Hebrew midwives? When Pharaoh said that to, to kill all the male children, they wouldn't do it. And I believe that God's uh, providentially um, intervened in that situation and caused babies to be born before the Hebrew midwives could even be there. But they had already determined they weren't going to obey that command. You have Daniel defying the governmental command. He went and just prayed to God three times a day, just as he had done before, the Bible says. You have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego defying Nebuchadnezzar's order, saying, hey, we may burn, but we will not bow. We'll burn before we bow. And God delivered them as well. So there are times when Christians will disagree over whether to obey the civil government in certain situations. Uh, some things are very uh, clear. We, we see them as black and white, like don't preach the gospel. Jesus says preach the gospel, so that's pretty clear. But I'll tell you, we faced a real challenge on an individual level, on a corporate level as a church regarding the pandemic, didn't we? 
when the government issued mandates that applied to us individually, even told us about how we could limit, how, how, to, how we had to limit gatherings in our home and what happened there, how we were to conduct ourselves in the worship gatherings of the church. There were some strong disagreements. Should we obey? Should we not obey? Is, uh, do we obey the government, whatever they tell us to do, unless it's explicitly commanded uh, or goes against black and white what Scripture says? I think it's important to remember that, yes, God has established the civil authorities, but they are not the only authorities that God has established. I remember talking to one pastor said, well, yeah, we're going to follow whatever the government says because we want to be Romans 13 people. I said, hey, what about Hebrews 13 people? Isn't there a thing called church government as well? God has also established the family. So there's, there's three uh, major institutions of government that God has established in humanity, the home, the church, and the state. And each of those institutions have jurisdictional boundaries. Uh, they all uh, contain certain rights and privileges and duties and obligations that are involved within that institution. And each of those institutions has a God-assigned authority to carry out that authority and to regulate human behavior within that governmental institutional sphere. The means to enforce it. In the home, it's the rod. In the church, it's the keys of the kingdom, what we might call church discipline. And in the state, it's the use of the sword. If an authority oversteps their God-given boundaries, a believer is not obligated to obey the authority in that instance. Let me give you a for instance. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. My wife does not need to submit to any other man, any other husband in the world but me. My, our children, you have children in the home. They don't have to obey any other parents. Uh, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Honor your father and your mother. Now, all while growing up and as we get into adults, it gets more complicated because just as God has delegated authorities to humans, parents, moms, and dads also delegate their authority to other authorities and want their children to respect them too. Uh, one of the worst things I think my sons hated is when, when Ruth and I would go out on a date and we would say, your sister is in charge <laughs> while we're away. They may not have liked the authority, but they were expected to respect that authority in our absence. And our daughter was expected not to abuse that authority, but to simply carry out our wishes in our absence. We could go on and on, but, but the point is that disagreements will occur because sometimes the lines are a bit hazy as to when those jurisdictional boundaries are crossed. And it's inevitable that believers will disagree. But this is where, as we will get later on into Romans, where our own personal conscience comes in. In a matter of Christian liberty and mutual love and respect for one another. Well, like I said, I wish you had more time, but that at least gives you an idea of scripturally why we may uh, be reluctant to or even refuse to submit to human authorities. But there's a second reason 
That's really the focus of this passage we study today. And it's a reason we must be very careful not to dismiss quickly. And that is sin. Sin in us. In addition to scriptural truth being a reason, we also have to be aware of our sinful tendency. Because of indwelling sin, there is a rebel inside of all of us. A soul that simply does not want to follow somebody else's rules that they have imposed on us. And that's something we just have to be mindful of. But we must remember, friends, that civil government is a gift from God. If there was no government at all, there would be pure anarchy. Imagine what that would be like. It would be disastrous. And so we should thank God for those who rule over us. We should pray for them, even if we didn't vote for them. We should submit to them unless they tell us to do something that goes against God's word. And I think it's also important to remind you that we do have the right to call them out when they are not fulfilling their obligations in light of God's word. John the Baptist preached at Heretic, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. He preached the truth of God even though it literally cost him his head. So I think the bottom line is as we look at Romans 13 is we need to take it at face value, not dismiss the rest of the counsel of God's word. But in this passage in particular, Paul is addressing an imbalance that can exist in believers. An imbalance to write off all government as bad. And sometimes in the name of God, we do what our rebel heart wants to do. And that's the warning here. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. There are things to be rendered to the government as God's established authority over us. And render to God the things that are God's. And of course, God has stamped his own image in us. So we ultimately belong to God, not to the government. But even while we are citizens of heaven, we are still citizens of the state. And we need to honor that as such. So this is simply a reminder to look at the government through biblical, not political, lenses. By submitting to the government, we're serving the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, how it provides a needed corrective in our lives. And Lord, we, as we think about this text, have much reason to ask your forgiveness for times that we have violated laws where it is um, we completely disregard the speed limit or we might uh, find an illegitimate loophole to get out of paying the full taxes that are due to the government. Uh, we can be very quick to criticize or poke fun at President Biden or other authorities far more than we are quick to pray for them. Lord, many times on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or other 
social media platforms where we're very quick to criticize or to take up what we think will be popular with the progressives or the conservatives or whoever. And we're just being political like everybody else instead of being spiritual, instead of being biblically minded. And so, Lord, we ask your forgiveness for being quick to comment, quick to criticize, quick to poke fun, but not quick to pray, and certainly not being constant in prayer. Forgive us, Lord, as parents for the times that we have disrespected those in authority, uh, speaking ill of them in a way that we would never, ever tolerate our children to speak of us or of their teachers or others' authorities in that way. I pray that as families, we might even be able to have a further discussion around our dinner table today or perhaps over Memorial Day weekend as we think about the lives that were sacrificed for our freedom. And to think about what that means for us, not only as citizens of the United States of America, but the ultimate price that was paid by Jesus for our ultimate freedom. Lord, you told us that we are not to use our freedom in order to gratify our sinful pleasures or sinful desires, but we are to use our freedom to serve others. And that certainly includes submitting to the government in a God-honoring way. So Lord, Thank you for helping us navigate through this passage. We pray that you would continue to help us to mull over this word in our minds. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would give us the will, the desire, and even the uh, earnest zeal to do what is right and pleasing to you. For we pray these things in the name of King Jesus. Amen.